Masechet Pesachim, Daf Lamed Gimel. We're continuing to speak about Terumah. And uh, yesterday we saw a quote from the Sifra, uh, the Midrash Halacha and Sefer Vayikra. We already saw one explanation of it, but we're going to see two more. So let's review what the Sifra says, and then we can appreciate the next two um, explanations. Um, the Torah says that if someone steals from the Bet HaMikdash, um, uh, uh, called Me'ila, and if he does it bishkaga, if he does it uh, unawares, or maybe better would be negligent. Bishkaga is a mistake, but it's a kind of negligent mistake. Uh, so we're going to see is actually there's different levels of making a mistake. Uh, if, uh, you know, someone leaves the, the refrigerator door open, and then that causes the milk all to go bad, you say, oh, why'd you do that? It's a mistake, but that's kind of negligent. There's other kinds of mistakes where, you know, maybe you're just walking and someone left a, a glass on the, on the floor. And so, you know, you didn't even intend to do anything at all. Um, so there's some mistakes where you're negligent and other mistakes where you had no idea that you were even doing anything. So you can't, cannot be held accountable. So that's going to be important here. So Bishkaga, if someone steals something from the Bet HaMikdash and uses it, if it's by mistake, Bishkaga. Why is that to have to say Bishkaga? Pirat Mezid, not if you do it on purpose. In other words, if someone steals from the Bet HaMikdash on purpose, knowingly, they cannot bring a Korban. Bringing a Korban is a way of getting atonement. It's actually a privilege um, that is exclusive for someone who is negligent, not someone who does it on purpose. Otherwise, you go and steal on purpose and say, oh, we'll just bring a Korban later. Okay, so that's what the Midrash says, Bishkaga Mezid. And now the Sifra continues and say, why do why, why is the Torah need to tell me a Pasuk that I have to bring a Korban only when it's Shogeg and not Mezid? I could learn the same thing from a Kalvachomer. And other mitzvot, uh, where if I do it on purpose, it's a very stringent, it's karet. So other stringent uh, commandments. I don't bring a korban if it's mezid. So me'ila, which is not karet, it's less than karet. So all the more so, um, it should be more lenient and I would not have to bring a korban if I did it on purpose. Okay, so that's that's the question. So then, th- therefore, why do I need the word bishkaga? I could have learned it from a kavachomer. The answer is, no, I could not have learned it from a kavachomer. Other mitzvot, are less stringent because they don't have the death penalty. This is mita bidesh shamayim. So you're going to say you can't apply that be'meila shibavon mita ho'il ve'hibavon mita lo yiftor ba'et ha'mezid. So me'ila has a stringency that is mita bidesh shamayim, and maybe that's why um, that so it's more stringent. So other mitzvot, you you don't have to bring korban to mezid, but this is more stringent. So maybe you would have to. That's why we need the pasuk bishkaga pirat la mezid. Okay, so I just read it from the original sifra. That's the source. What we is this is what the Talmud quoted yesterday. Now everyone who reads this has an obvious problem uh, because uh, karet in general we understand is to be to be more stringent than mitabi um, deshamayim. Uh, karet means uh, if someone uh, dies over fifty, between fifty and sixty, we attribute can attribute we can attribute that to karet in the hands of heaven. However, mitabi deshamayim is understood to be only 60 and over. So you see that karet is, uh, uh, is agreed by all to be more stringent. And yet this uh, sifra takes it both ways. The first half says, yes, uh, karet is more stringent. And the second half, well, yeah, it's true. The other mitzvot don't have mitabi de shamayim, but they have karet, which is even worse. 
So the second half does not really fit, does not make any sense. And that was the question we had yesterday. And so we're going to see three explanations. The first one we already saw, it says Meila uh, has a stringency in that even a smaller minimum size, even less than a kezait, you would still be liable uh, to bring a korban if you did that by bishkaga. Um, so therefore, Meila has that extra stringency that there's you know, the, the minimum size is smaller than for most things. And so what it means here that babon mita, you have to kind of fill in words that even if you have less than uh, less than the kezait, it's still avon mita. If you do it on purpose, avon mita. If you do it by mistake, you can bring a korban. Um, so you have to fill in those words. And by filling in those words, then it makes sense. All right, we're going to see now two more answers. Uh, the second one is Mela is liable even for if it's unintended, and the third one, even if it's unawares, we'll discuss the difference between those levels of, of negligence and or unknowing. Uh, okay, so let's get into it. So uh, the second answer says, um, other, regarding other mitzvot, um, where doing something with intent and without intent um, is not the same. Uh, for example, on Shabbat, if I, I, I intended to cut something that was already detached from the ground. So let's say I see a cluster of grapes and I, uh, in the field, and I think that it's not connected to the ground. And so then that would be permitted to take one grape would be certainly fine. And so I do that. And afterwards, I realize actually this vine was connected to the ground. And there, therefore, by plucking the grape, I violated a melacha. Um, so in that case, um, that would be Patur, uh, right? I would not even have to bring a korban. It's less than shogeg. Shogeg is negligent in the sense that I forgot today was Shabbat, or I didn't know that this was uh, that this was this, this law was prohibited. Well, those are things you kind of expected to know. You should have known. But this, I knew was Shabbat, and I knew that um, plucking from the ground is prohibited. But I didn't know that this thing was connected to the ground. And so on Shabbat, we would have that leniency. However, Meila does not have that leniency. Regarding Meila, even if you do something un, in, without, without intention, you are still chayav um, to bring a korban if you did it, um, or, or uh, you have to bring a korban. Um, for example, if I had some wool and I thought the wool was not sacred, just regular wool, and I put it on uh, to keep myself warm. And then all of a sudden someone comes and says, oh, I made that hikdesh, that's kodesh wool. So um, I had no intention, no way of knowing. And so in that case, meila, I still have to bring a korban um, because I still use something that was kadosh. And so therefore the kalvachomer, does not work, right? The first that first kava um, and so I need the uh, I need the pasuk needs to tell me bishkaga pedat lemezid because um, otherwise I wouldn't know it because meila has this stringency that even uh, something that's unintended um, is still uh, liable to bring a korban. And so that's why it has to tell me that even though it has that stringency, nevertheless, if you do it on purpose, you don't bring a korban. 
second answer, the third answer, all these answers are said by fourth generation Amoraim in Babel. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak Amar Hachika Amar Lo. Im Amad Bisham Mitzvah Shikhen Lo Mitchayav Bahen She'en Mitasek Ke Mitasek. Shim Nitkaven Lehagbiyat Atalush Vechatachat Amichubar She'patur. So regarding other mitzvot, we do not equate someone mitasek, someone who is doing something completely unaware that is even doing any action. Um, so this is an even more excusable um, uh, uh, excuse. Uh, so for example, if I'm just, I see a cluster of grapes on the, on, the, on, the, on the floor in the field, I pick them up thinking that they're not attached to the ground. It turns out that they were attached and by picking them up, now they become detached. See, this is even, even less, uh, even more excusable than the first one, than the previous case. In the previous case, I was plucking uh, a grape or I was cutting a, you know, a, a stem. Here, I'm not cutting anything at all. I was only lifting, which is just nothing. Um, and so that's mitasek. Mitasek is very low level. This is like when you're walking on the street and someone uh, has in their driveway a, uh, a light, a detector that uh, turns on the light when you walk by. I'm just walking. I have no idea that this is this is being done totally passively. I'm not. I, I'm not even. It's not like, like I'm even even flipping a switch, thinking that the switch is not connected or something. Or I'm not I'm doing nothing. So in on Shabbat. Uh, that case would be patur totally, would not have to bring korban. Um, so that's a leniency regarding other commandments like Shabbat, but we're strict regarding me'ilah. Let's say I stick my hand into a jar to get some uh, cookies. And it turns out there, there happened to be some Kodesh oil in the jar. And as I put my hand in, some of that oil goes on my hand. And now I've benefited from anointing from Kodesh oil. I was, I was not intense, not like, uh, it's not like there was uh, two bottles of oil and I picked the wrong one. I thought this was Chulin, but it's actually Kodesh. I wasn't even intending to do any anointing at all, just to take something from the Kali. And so uh, yet, even though in other commandments, that would be okay. Regarding Me'ilah, if I do that, I still have to bring a Korban because I still um, uh, ended up taking something uh, from Kodesh that I was not, that, that was not allowed to. And so therefore you see that Me'ilah has the stringency that other commandments do not. And that's why the Torah has to come and specifically say regarding Me'ilah, although it's so strict in the sense, nevertheless, if you do it on purpose, Be'mezid, you don't bring a Korban. Okay, that concludes um, those three answers. And now the next topic is, uh, why can't you give chametz as Tirumah on Pesach? Right, we saw this law already that if I'm, uh, you know, have, have some bread around and I need to take Tirumah, uh, as on Pesach, I can't take, I can't use chametz as Tirumah because the Kohen can't do anything with it. So we're going to see two sources for this law. We quoted above. Right, the law that we said above regarding that was the machloket between Rabbi Akiva and Biochanan ben Nuri. That whole discussion was only if you mafrish um, tiruma. Uh, First, I took tiruma, and then it became chametz. Uh, in other words, I have um, I have a kosher for Passover wheat uh, flour which it usually is, and uh, if, it's, if it didn't get wet. And so I take the flour, I start making dough. The dough is not chametz yet. I'm going to make uh, matzah. And so while I'm doing that, oh, I didn't take tiruma. I take tiruma. I put this on the side. That tiruma is still kasher le Pesach. 
And then if I leave it there, it becomes chametz, that's okay. Uh, that is considered tirumah. Um, I, I fulfilled my obligation. But if it's the other way around, hefrish, chametz, tirumah, if I made the if I made the stove and I let it become chametz, or if I had chametz lying around and I take tirumah from that and I go and give it to the kohen, no, enakidusha, it is not sacred. The, the, uh, the uh, name of tirumah does not apply to it. So in other words, I cannot give the I cannot give chametz on Pesach as teruma. Now that's the law. How do we know this? The pasuk regarding teruma says I have to give it to him, meaning I have to give it to him so that he can use it and he can eat it any way he wants. Um, and not, I'm giving it to him so he can burn it for his fire, right? I have to really have give a good gift. What kind of gift is that if uh, you're giving something that's chametz and he wouldn't be able to use it? According to most opinions, he can't get any hana'a from it. Uh, the most lenient, the Biyosah Galilee says, okay, he can burn it. But even that is not enough. You have to give it a total gift, one that he can eat. Um, question about that, is that really true? That the Kohen has to be able to eat it? Maybe he can just get benefit. So this Baraita says that you, sh- you should try not to give Tiruma that's Tame um, uh, to, to the Kohen. If you know to use use Tame'a to exempt Tahor. You have two piles I take from the Tame'a and I give it to him. Um, and that will exempt the, the tahor. You should not. You should not do that. But if you did it, it's okay. It is considered tiruma. Well, that's the key point. Over according to this, I can take tiruma that's tameh and give it to the kohen, and it is considered tiruma, um, even though the kohen cannot eat it. Right. So Why don't you apply the same? that uh, Asha you did before. You have to give it to him and not for his fire. And here, all he could do is burn it in his lamp or to make, or in his oven. And so, Rav uh, Nachman will answer. There's a difference between these cases. Um, there, there uh, here in the, in the case of Terumat Teme'ah, at one time, it was fit to be to be given as tiruma. In other words, when you, when I first plucked it off the uh, off the the grain off the from the uh, uh, ground, it was tahor, right? And then it became tameh afterwards. So at some point, it was tahor. When it was tahor, I could have given it to him. So to now, it became tameh, but it's um, it's still okay because it had it had a point where it was fitting. But here, regarding chametz, there was never a time when it was fit to give to the Kohen. Um, okay, and then we're going to wonder about this. What do you mean there was never a time? Uh, in, in general, something that's connected to the ground cannot become tameh, and uh, you can't give tiruma on it yet. Um, but also, we usually think that if it's connected to the ground, it cannot become chametz, because after all, if it's on the ground, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain, right? At some point, it's going to rain, it's going to be dew, uh, things that outside are going to get wet. So while the, uh, while the chametz is growing, it, while the wheat is growing, it does not become chametz. So therefore, when I cut the grain, right, then it should be okay. It's not chametz. I could have given it. So chametz also has a time where it's fitting to give. So therefore, what's the distinction here? So uh, what is going on? What kind of case are you talking about where the chametz that you're giving was never 
It never had a time when it was fitting. It was always chametz. Uh, we, there is a possibility. Um, okay, so for example, if it became chametz while it was connected to the ground. So here's a chidush. Um, chametz can in fact, wheat can in fact become chametz while it's connected to the ground. Not usually, but if it becomes ripened, if it's totally ripe, um, it's not getting sustenance from the ground anymore. So it just happens to be connected, but it's not actually biologically um, getting sustenance. And then that, at that point, if it gets wet enough, it can actually become chametz. And so here's a time, here's an example, a case where um, it cannot be given as tiruma yet. They didn't even cut it. You certainly can't make it tiruma. And so the, from even before I cut it, before it has a possibility of being given to be given as tiruma, it already um, becomes chametz and there was no possibility. All right, fine. So that's a very limited, particular, peculiar case. Um, uh, so you're, that means you're implying aval achametz betalush hachinami dekadsha. So according to that, um, this is old Rav Nachman. According to that, Rav Nachman, you're admitting that if it, if I did cut it while before it was ripe, before it became chametz, and then it became chametz, that I can give it afterwards as tiruma. I can. So therefore, I can in most cases. Uh, give chametz as tiruma because in most cases it becomes chametz after I cut it. Yeah, do you agree with that? Amalein, yes, indeed, I do agree with that. And this is quite uh, an amazing thing because it means that the entire statement that we were trying to discuss here before, this was a baraita that says it only applies, you can only bring give tiruma if it became chametz after you gave it, gave to the ma, but not before. Oh, this is all talking about a case where it became chametz while it was still connected to the ground before I cut it. Well, that's a kind of very unusual case. So everybody's raising their eyebrows at him that he's limiting a braita to such a to such a peculiar case. And so he sees that they're um, they're suspicious. So he quotes a pasuk from Daniel um, uh, when Daniel sees a, a, a Nebuchadnezzar sees a dream. He says, "Big zerat aydin bemar kadishin she'elta." Um, that he says the matter uh, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw is by the decree of watchers and the sentence by the word of the sacred ones. So Eirin, uh, meaning those who are awake all the time, meaning usually meaning angels, and Kadishin also, angels. This message that you got is from the angels. But the rabbi interprets it to be to talk about uh, sages themselves. That the holy ones are the sages. And this is how the rabbis have understood this halacha. Um, and this is, in fact, what they teach in the Bet Midrash. And so stop being puzzled by this uh, chidush that I just gave you. This is the tradition. And don't ask any questions about it. This comes from on high, literally. Okay, that's very interesting. This pasuk from Daniel is cited in other places, other midrashim, in a similar way. For example, you know the famous midrash about King Shalomo. He reads, a, he reads look, reading the Torah, and he says, "Oh, you can don't have many horses, or else you're going to go to Egypt. Don't have right, don't have much wealth, and so on." He says, "Oh, I know the reason why, so I can do all these things, and I won't fall into the trap." And sure enough, he falls into the trap, and then after that. He, uh, the, they quote the pasuk, this pasuk, and says, everything Hashem does is with wisdom and, uh, and understanding. He already consulted the, the, uh, the angels about them, and uh, so we can be sure that they have good reasons for them. Don't question them. Uh, so here the rabbi is quoting the pasuk in the same way, except that now it's referring not to Hashem's decrees in the Torah, but rather to rabbinic explanations. 
of uh, this rabbinic explanation of a baraita itself. Okay, so that's a very interesting extension of this midrash. All right, very good. So um, that's uh, that's one source we said. Um, now we're going to see a second source. Why why would it be that uh, one cannot give teruma? But that is chametz, while it's chametz, and, and give that as tirumah, even though the Kohen can't eat it. Pasuk says you have to give reshit, the, the, the first, the first, uh, the beginnings, right, the, uh, of, of the produce. So if you have a head, reshit, that implies that the body is separate from the head. There's something different about it. If I'm giving something, uh, usually when you give tirumah, then the rest of it you're allowed to eat. So there's some distinction between the two. So it ha- there has to be distinction. So reshit means that the leftover, everything else that they did not give as tirumah, has to be distinguishable to a Yisrael so that the Yisrael can eat it. However, in this case, if it's all chametz, so now I separated chametz and gave it to the Kohen, whatever he's going to do with it. The rest of it, I still can't eat because it's chametz. So actually, there's no distinction between the tirumah and the non-tirumah because uh, I, uh, Yisrael cannot eat either of them. And therefore, that's not considered an act of giving tirumah if there's no distinction between the tirumah and the non-tirumah. There's no recognizable difference with the remnant. Okay, so that's it. That's the uh, that's the second uh, source for this law. And now we're going to see something absolutely fascinating: how to take impure grapes, grapes that are tameh, and transform them into pure wine, wine that is tahor. Okay, this is going to be a magic transformation. Um, I'll give you one second to figure out how to do it. Um, nope, you didn't figure it out. Okay, here's how you do it. Okay, so they, they're telling you the exact setting and who was there. They want to make sure that you uh, know this is an authentic um, uh, teaching of Rabbi Yochanan, uh, the greatest uh, Amora in Eretz Yisrael. He says, Anavim shenitme'u dorchan pachot pachot mikabesa. Okay, there's a law regarding tum'ah that um, food that is less than a betzah cannot impart tum'ah to other food. Um, a food by in any amount or drink in any amount can receive tum'ah if something tameh touches it, but in order to impart tum'ah to something else has to be at least a kabesa. So therefore, if you have a whole bunch of grapes and they became tameh, what you do is you separate um, uh, some grapes less than an egg full. How many grapes fit into an egg? Let's say five. So take four grapes and uh, put four grapes in a bowl, crush them up, make juice, strain the juice out. In that case, um, that juice is tahor, even if the peels are tameh. Why? Because alma kasavar mashkin mifkad pikideh lehemat kametameh lehu. He must uh, believe, he understand that the liquid is contained in a separate receptacle inside the grape. So that uh, the, when a tuma touches the grape, it only makes tameh the skin, the outside of the grape, but the liquid is its own domain. It's like stored up in a separate storehouse. Like a, I don't know, like a fetus in a placenta. It's like a separate area, and that doesn't, you know, nothing uh, enters there. And so, therefore, if I take 
um, a little, a, a few grapes. That's less. The whole thing is less than a kizai, less than a kabitza, and I and I now smash them. So it's true. The skin is touching the liquid while I'm smashing them, but that's okay, right? When does it become tameh? Only once I'm squeezing them. But while I'm squeezing them, there is no kabitza altogether, and so that uh, why grape juice will strain out into another vessel. And now I throw out the grapes. And now everything in that vessel is tahor. I keep doing that again and again, and then I can make wine out of the entire vat of grapes, and that will all be tahor. Brilliant. Okay. Um, now, uh, one uh, small question on this. Why do you say you have to take less than the betza, right? Why instead of four grapes, take five grapes, take it, make it an, ac- an uh, exact kabesa. Uh, how's that going to work? If I have an exact kabesa, a kabesa can impart impurity. Well, it sh- still should be okay in this case because we have a Mishnah in Masechet Tehorot um, that says, Tememet shesachat zetim v'anabim kabesa mechuvenet tehorim. There's some grapes. I'll say the grapes are tahor. And someone who is tamed lamet, right? He just went, came from a funeral and he comes and he takes uh, this uh, egg's worth of uh, volume of grapes and he squeezes them. Exactly an egg, tehorim. It's okay. Ah, so you see that even a kabetza itself is permitted. Why do you say you have to take less than a kabetza? There's a good reason. Over there, was only talking about bediavad. Uh, um, if it happened, then it's okay. Uh, but here, you're saying you could do it on purpose. If you're doing it on purpose, don't take exactly a kabesa because maybe you'll put a little more. It's hard to figure out exactly. So take a little less, and then you'll be sure. Uh, why does it work in this case of the tamela uh, met? Well, um, yeah, uh, it works as follows. When, um, yeah, let's explain it now. So Rav Chista says, Who, who's going to listen to you? Uh, that, uh, what do you mean? The Tumah just gone? It just went into the, uh, disappeared into thin air? It's some kind of magic trick, right? Nobody's going to follow this halacha. So therefore, you see that Rav Chista, who argues on this and says, no, this halacha does not work, this, this trick will not, is not going to work, he must think that, that that liquid is, in fact, absorbed within the fruit. It's, part, it's an integral part of the fruit. It's not stored in its own storehouse. And therefore, when uh, the grapes become tameh, the whole thing, the insides also become tameh. And therefore, even if you just take one grape and squeeze it, the tumah is through and through. There's no way to squeeze a grape and get the tumah out. So he disagrees with the, this whole thing. Okay. Hold on. Do you really not agree at all with the law, that the idea that uh, the liquid is in a separate contained area? How are you going to explain the Mishnah that we just uh, cited? Right? You have these grapes, they're tahor, but someone just came from a funeral, squeezes them, a besa's worth, and they're okay. If you say that the, the liquid inside is a separate storage area, 
then the whole thing is okay. And when I start squeezing it, right, it becomes less than a besa. So, right, and so everything is tahor. But according to you, you say that the tumah goes through and through. The second the tameh person touches any part of the uh, of the grape, even the outside, just picks it up, the tumah goes through and through, and it's a kabetza of grapes, and therefore the whole thing will be tameh, right from the beginning, even before he starts squeezing it. So how can you explain this mishnah um, if you think that the liquid inside is not protected? So Rav Kistazan answer. We're talking about grapes that were cut and never got wet, right? There's a law that in order for something to receive tum'ah, first it has to get wet. Um, if, it's, if it was kept dry the entire time, then uh, even if something touches it, uh, tum'ah touches it, it doesn't uh, enter. So So these grapes, when do they first get wet? only after I start squeezing them. I squeeze a little, the first drop of grape juice comes out onto the, onto the, onto the front of it, onto the skin. And at that point, it can first receive tum'ah. But at that point, it's already less than a kabesa. Right, the grapes themselves that, will, that would transfer tum'ah to the liquid that, is now, that now came out, um, is less than the kabesa and therefore cannot um, cannot give uh, cannot um, send that tuma uh, out to the that drop which separated from it and so of course he can explain the Chista can explain this mishnah also um, and in fact uh, he thinks this is better says, I, in fact, have a proof for my opinion, this B'raita, which we mentioned yesterday, that said um, that if you give chametz, that's tameh, chametz to, as tirumah, it's similar to giving berries or grapes that became tameh, because they cannot be eaten since they're since they're teruma temea, and they can't be they cannot be used as fuel because berries you don't burn, nor do grapes burn, and therefore um, uh, they have no use. Now, according to you, you have this magic uh, magic uh, solution, right? According to you and Rabbi Yochanan. Uh, you're a teacher, so you could take these um, take these grapes and you can take them uh, piece by piece, right? Less than the cabeza, squeeze them, get the juice, make wine, and you can you can that wine will be tahor. So according to you, there is no similarity to chametz that you give us teruma uh, to to um, this, and there's no reason to say it has no heterachila and no heterasaka. You could you could eat it. You could turn this these tame grapes into. Uh, tahod wine. And you see, the Braita doesn't say that, so therefore I am right, and the liquid inside does not get stored up inside. Okay, um, but before we see the answer, um, in this uh, statement, you have the word zetim in printed editions. The word zetim is printed, but it's in parentheses, which means it should be removed. Uh, in fact, if we look at manuscripts uh, of this, um, uh, we see that no manuscripts have the word zetim. Um, in the first printing in 1520 
by Daniel Bomberg. There's words that team got in there, but and they continued into later printings. But then someone real, an editor realized that they shouldn't be there and didn't erase it, but put it in parentheses. Um, so it's obvious that the words that team should not be there, and they can't be there because olives uh, are fuel, right? You you can uh, turn olives into olive oil and burn them, uh, and and burn it and use it as uh, and use it as for for uh, light. Uh, so it wouldn't make sense to have Zetim there. A parenthesis a common thing? Yes, uh, throughout, uh, throughout the Vilna Shas, whenever you see parentheses, it means that the latest editors wanted you to remove those words. When you see brackets, it means they wanted to add those words, um, but they don't want to erase it altogether because that's too big of a change. So they put in parentheses to say, we think that these words are mistaken. Um, but in each case, you should actually check the manuscripts to see if that emendation uh, fits with all manuscripts, some manuscripts, sometimes it's only some. In this case, it's all, so therefore it's clear that Zetim should not be there. Okay, anyway, back to Rabbi Yochanan, how is he going to uh, explain this baraita, right? Why can't you use this magic formula and uh, take these grapes and make them tahor? Uh, why, can't you, why can't you donate them? Uh, why'd you say that there's no heter achila? Uh, the problem is that you cannot donate um, grapes that are tameh um, uh, because the Kohen receiving them may eat them, right? And so he's not going to be so careful to go and squeeze them little by little and all that, you know, I mean, technically it's, it's possible to do, um, but if he, he's not going to do it. Um, he, he, might, he might not do it uh, and he might come to, he might forget and this, this is a stumbling block for him and that's why it's not a good, so technically there is a way, but it's a very difficult way and so um, don't put a stumbling block before him and that's the reason. Okay. Do we, in general, do we worry about that the Kohen is not going to be so careful and it's going to be a stumbling block? One is allowed to, that a Kohen is allowed to take uh, bread or oil that became Tameh, it's Tiruma, the Kohen is allowed to light it. So it means you can give bread to a Kohen and he can, he can burn it um, for heat. So how come you don't say, oh, well, we don't, don't give in to him. He shouldn't be allowed to use it because uh, he might come to take a piece of it and eat it, right? Because after all, it's food. No, we don't say that. And Shemin also, we could put it on his salad. He might eat it. We don't, how come, see, we don't say that. Uh, no, the reason we don't, we don't worry in this case, those cases is different. Amale pat. If a Kohen receives bread, that is Tameh, what he should do is he should throw it with the firewood and it'll become all disgusting. And then no, it's repulsive and he's not going to want to eat it. Also, if you have oil that is Tiruman becomes Tameh, then the Kohen should put it in a vessel that's repulsive and no, no, no one will want to eat it, drink it anymore. And so then it will, no one will come to a mistake um, and, uh, and, and use it for eating. It's clear that that will only be used for um, uh, for, for burning. And so that's what, that's the difference of opinion here. That's how Ravak can explain 
this uh, the same source, whereas the uh, Rava's opinion was uh, not so that um, uh, that this uh, cannot be uh, given because once it's tameh, there's nothing to do with it. If it's uh, if it's uh, berries or if it's grapes, there's no way to uh, to make tameh grapes uh, make them tahor. Halacha lemaaseh here um, is according to the Biochanan, This is a viable option. This is a way that and it has it was done throughout history in different cases that you can take tameh grapes and squeeze them into tahor wine, uh, an amazing, um, amazing method. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.